It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. out there for everybody who got knocked on their butt by a guy named Wooga over the weekend. No? Nobody else? <laughs> Nobody other than me? <laughs> but it, that's a good thing if that's the case. Because Wooga was not small. And it was uh, quite the collision. But I'm fine. Back home. Obviously disappointing, heartbreaking end of the Longhorn basketball season. A lot to discuss there. Uplifting, exhilarating end of the weekend. Entire weekend, for that matter, for Longhorn Baseball. We've got a lot to get to on the program this morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, where we're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig White. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Jeff Howell is. Uh, in or about to be in the air uh, to fly back. He's flying back this morning from Kansas City, so he'll be out today, but he'll be back with us tomorrow. And uh, our producer, Cameron Parker, is here, and he had a most extremely busy weekend. A lot of golf. I just texted you at one point to see what was going on, and there you were, hanging out at Dell Match Play. You had a good time out there? Yeah, last one. Uh, very sad to see it leave. Yeah. Me and Aaron Hogan were talking about it before the show. Um, but it was it was a great week, and Austin Country Club put on an excellent show, as they usually do. Yeah, they did a, w- a wonderful job from what everybody has told me. And, and you know, and, and you hope that because of the way that that event was run during its run here, um, you know, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be a match play event, you'd love to see the PGA would tour return to Austin and be a great market and a great place for it. But you know how those things go with the schedule. So we'll find out. We'll see uh, where that is. And uh, that was one part of the weekend. Uh, obviously, the NCAA tournament was a, a big part of the weekend. I, I did not check on this, but I feel pretty safe and secure in saying that I'm sure out of the more than – I think 30 million brackets submitted across the country. That, those are just the ones that are publicized, those. Uh, you know, more than that, probably. That not one, not a single bracket has a pairing of Florida Atlantic <laughs> uh, against San Diego State on one side of the Final Four and Miami against UConn on the other side of the Final Four. I just, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that nobody had that in their bracket and you think of all the millions and millions of brackets done but I don't think anybody picked that one you know it's a weird year when a lot of people are winning their bracket pools by not having a single final four pick I won mine yeah. and I don't have I didn't have a single fi- I had Kansas State and Texas and they both fell down yesterday one game shy of reaching the final four would have been something if those two had I was talking with uh uh, Joni James Lehman of the uh, Big 12 Conference because the Big 12 was the host 
of that particular region. You know, normally, you'll, you'll see it if it's like uh, where the NCAA tournament is. It's either a host institution or a host conference, like in uh, Des Moines, first and second round, the host was Drake University. Uh, and um, But in, in uh, Kansas City, it was the Big 12 Conference that was the host supplying a lot of the manpower and the essentials and things like that, and that's what goes into the hosting part of it. And she and I were talking, and she was, she said she was really hoping this was before the game, so she was really hoping that uh, that he would have had half of the Final Four field be from the Big Twelve Conference, uh, but none from the Big Twelve in there. So anyway, uh, somebody on the Specs text line, and so oh, it's uh, let's see, uh, yeah, there are apparently four. Bracket. So, and then somebody else said, counting all of the automated brackets, thirty-seven total. So that's in the over thirty wow. million brackets, thirty-seven total. So, congratulations. Somebody else had said on um, B and E this morning at six uh, had that particular uh, bracket as well. But uh, I'm seeing that yeah, thirty-seven out of uh, thirty-five million brackets on ESPN. And uh, so, hey. Congratulations to, to those who, who who did that. You, you know the the cynic in you wants to say that had to be like by random. You know, did they did they have their dog? You know, point to which one, or or did they have their two year old child go ahead and do it? Uh, did, did, if somebody had that much uh, college basketball acumen, I I salute you. Way to go! So there you go. Um, Somebody said, Cam, I was at the softball game, so not watching on television. Some some thought the cat was back on as analyst. Do you know? Well, Cam wasn't doing the softball games. I know he had done them the week before. He normally doesn't do it. Cameron was filling in for Andrew Haynes uh, the week prior. Uh, but Andrew was back on, on the call. I don't know. Cat for LHN, I'm guessing? Yeah. I mean, she just gave birth uh, yeah. to, to a child there. But I'll tell you what. I'll We'll get the answer on that. Um and a uh, big weekend for Longhorn softball in uh, sweeping out mm-hmm. Texas Tech as well as Longhorn baseball. I do agree with Jim from Lago Vista. All in all, it has been a great tournament. It, you know, going into the tournament, everybody said this is going to be a great tournament. It's going to be highly unpredictable. That's exactly how it turned out to be. How it's turned out to this point to be uh, was wildly unpredictable, I guess, would, would be uh, – you'd be pretty safe in saying it is wildly uh, unpredictable, and uh, toward that end, uh, we'll we'll jump right in with some some audio from from this. Uh, you know, it it was. Um, oh, and, and uh, by the way, uh, there was a couple other questions. Somebody had asked me, uh, Chan had said, "How long uh, do Marcus, Timmy, CB, and Rice get to clean out their locker and no longer have access to the basketball locker room?" Uh, I think they take as long as they want. Um, there's no, there's no rush on any of that sort of thing. Um, I don't, I don't think there's going to be any issue on that. Uh, saw those guys last night, obviously I was on the flight back with them and, uh, and, uh, I'll, I'll get to some more about that. Um, Jeff, you said, who is Harry Carey Light? Who is that? That's Tom Barfield. He did play-by-play for Baylor baseball for 15 years. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, we brought Tom in to do uh, some games when we had conflicts, when Roger couldn't be there and I couldn't be there. And uh, he's been around college baseball a long, long time. He got pretty excited. I would, too, on a walk-off home. We'll hear that call. 
Uh, so we'll do that. Somebody said, yes, Kat was on LHN. I saw and heard her on TV. That's outstanding. So there we go. Um, anyway, and somebody else said, hey, I know Cam filled in for Andrew. Did a super job. That's why I directed the softball question to him. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Yes, on LHN. Uh, Cam was out at golf uh, this weekend. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Andrew Haynes was back on the call. Um our man up at Melt says, are DeSue and Cunningham able to come back for one more season? Cunningham is, Brock Cunningham has already said he is coming back. He's in a, a graduate advertising program and counting a redshirt year he took right on the front end of his collegiate career. That was the NIT championship season of 2019. Uh, and then everybody got that COVID year of eligibility. So it'll be a six-year run for Brock. But he has used his time wisely uh, already graduated uh, with a four-year degree, a bachelor's degree, and is in the master's program working in advertising right now and loves it. So, yes, he's going to uh, come back. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look forward uh, to that. And uh, Dylan DeSue has not made his decision yet. Uh, he does have a year of eligibility if he chooses to use it. Uh, has not yet made. He said he would sit down with his family and would, and would talk about it. So, uh We'll see. Uh, Dave, the Display Sooner, says, hey, much watch TV next week in UT softball against the Sooners in Norman. Correction, not in Norman. Not in Norman. They're playing it at the Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City. Andrew Haynes told me that last night. How about that? So they're playing that, uh, I guess, at Don Porter ASA Hall of Fame Stadium. Anyway, they're playing at the uh, softball Hall of Fame uh, complex uh, next weekend, which is interesting. So um, <laughs> somebody else said one of the – funnest weekends in a long time on the 40 from the baseball softball tailgate to start Saturday morning watching softball and baseball take down tech somebody uh text me in and let me know how the block party was if you were at the at the uh, block party there on Comal Street if you took part in that between baseball and softball where they had they had the uh, uh Comal Street blocked off there and and it, and it made it uh, easier to do because they're doing work and I've had a lot of people ask me this about that construction that's going on past McCombs Field. That's graduate student housing that's being constructed there. So graduate student housing there, uh, they're uh, astride Comal Street, and that's what that is. So they had they had construction barriers up, so they had a block party. So if you were there, you know, uh, good for you. Um, <laughs> Ice Cream Man says, so you're saying Brock's on the Perry Ellis plan. He's on the Jordan Shipley plan, you know. Um, so anyway, and, uh, uh, listen to the radio broadcast in real time. It sounded like you agreed that we got hosed on the Brock call is what, is what you're saying. Somebody said they didn't block the street. I, uh, they had the construction barriers up the other day for the Tuesday night game. So I guess they removed that there for the block part and somebody else said it was a good time, had a good time on it. So I'm glad to hear that. Glad the... Glad to hear the uh, block party went off very, very well. It was on the lawn by the tennis courts. Good. Uh, I'm hoping they en enjoyed uh, all of that. Um, with regard to the Brock Cunningham call, if you look at the replays and you look at the still shots, uh, it's hard to envision it being called the way it ultimately be it was called uh, with Cunningham going up. And uh, like I said, it it looked like uh, it was. In fact, the way that it was originally 
called, and and I don't know, and I've heard people say they changed the call, and I I don't think that's quite the proper phraseology. It was two calls. Now I will say the call that was made uh, against uh, uh, Norchad Omir was the the arm went up from um, might have been Patrick Adams who who his arm went up on that. Um, but it was Brent Hampton who called uh, Brock Cunningham for undercutting Omir. And it was a big moment, no doubt about it. Uh, Omir would have fouled out of the ball game. They would have walked the other way. It was a loose ball foul. Cunningham would have had two free throws to try to put, try to put the Longhorns up because it was 79 all with a minute to go in the game. Now, Ronnie Terry and the players will tell you that one specific call did not lose in the game. Uh, they point to... Uh, a lot of things that happen, uh, especially with a lot of uh, downhill straight line drives that that Miami had down the stretch to come back. Uh, there were a ton of foul calls, obviously, and the Longhorns missed some key shots and had some turnovers. I mean, all of it added up to it. Uh, uh, were they banged up? Yes, they were. They didn't have Dylan DeSue. Yes. Uh, Marcus Carr they got that Charlie horse right in the quad, and that didn't hurt. And and Sir Jabari Rice uh, was hobbled. I saw him limping off the floor, and he came off at one point as that knee was bothering him. Uh, somebody said it was a dirty play by Cunningham. You could not be more incorrect. It was a dirty play. He's he's boxing out. That's not a dirty play when you're boxing out to get a rebound. He doesn't see Omir coming over the back. Now, you can make the argument one way or the other whether there's a foul. Dirty play? No. Absolutely, 100% not dirty play. Uh, again, they, they, there were two different calls, one that said the foul was on Mir and one that said it, it said that um, it was backing into him. So, yeah, not a dirty play. <laughs> Definitely disagree with you. Somebody said, was that, Craig, that the Miami player crashed into the press table and spilled the drink and computer? I noticed Marcus came over and dapped up whoever it happened to. Yeah, that was me. That's what I meant at the start, and I said, "Raise your hand if you'd uh, if if anybody else got knocked on their butt by a guy named Wooga." Was Wooga Poplar came over, and I could see it happening in front of me. It's almost like you know when sometimes, and this is not compared to having a car wreck because trust me, I've been in car wrecks, um, but it's one of those deals where you start to see it happen in slow motion. You could see him coming, and he's going to crash the table. Full on coming to get the ball. It's it's a risk you take um, when it happened. I've I've had it happen to me a few times in the past. I can remember for sure when I was uh, the analyst when Bill Shoning was doing play by play. I think it was our first year together or second year, ninety two, ninety three, or ninety three, ninety four. They're playing Houston, and there was a guard for the Cougars named Lloyd Wiles. I always remember this. He came right over the table and knocked me pins over. You know the whole thing. And uh, and that that one hurt. It actually kind of bruised my hip a little bit. Uh, there was a game at UCLA uh, in '99, uh, a women's game, and Edwina Brown in the '99-2000 season, who was the National Player of the Year that year for Texas, came racing over the table, landed right in my lap when when that happened. So it's it's happened. But Poplar came over to try to save the ball, crashes into the table. I get knocked, you know. Uh, it's more head. It's more heels over head, not head over heels, because I was going backward, and uh, I didn't even really have that much water in the cup. I was down pretty low, but what was left spilled everywhere, 
And everybody kind of jumped. Uh, Cedric Golden, the Austin American Statesman, was helping me up. Um, <laughs> Eddie Horn was kind of trying to help me up. David Garrett, our producer, our engineer, was mopping up the water with the scarf he had with him. And then there were other things. So there were a lot of people that helped out, and I appreciated that. Uh, but I was okay. And Marcus Scar did come over, and he was laughing and gave me a fist bump <laughs> there uh, for that. So uh, that, that was happening right in the time that it was at. So he said, it was a dirty place. Moving backwards, you don't box out like that. He was boxing out. It was not a dirty play. You're flat dead wrong. You're wrong. That's not a dirty play. A dirty play would be shoving somebody, tripping somebody. Much It's not a dirty play. If you back into somebody, that's not a dirty play. It might be a foul. It's not a dirty play, though. So anyway, I like I said, it was called, if it was such a dirty play, it would have been called both a foul on one side and a foul on the other side. So, uh, and and it was a difference on, uh, on the two fouls. And Brent Hampton's call was the one that obviously they stuck with on the floor. So, uh, but it was not a dirty play. So, anyway. Uh, uh, so, anyway. Uh, that's you know that's how it and and folks will have a different take on it and and that's fine. Um, when Brock is going backwards, he's not aware that the guy is there behind me. He's backpedaling there to get himself set to get a rebound, and then Omir comes over the top of him. So you judge it how you want to judge it, but one thing it's not is it's not a dirty play. That's how coaches teach you how to box out. Yeah, come on, people. <laughs> It's not a dirty play. Was it? Uh, can you call it a foul? Yep, you can. Dirty? No. So, anyway, that, somebody else said Cunningham's just boxing out like every other player does. So, uh, anyway, so that's the deal. Uh, somebody said, did you hold the call through the fall or could the radio audience tell you were knocked over, said Gus in the Bronx. The answer is yes and yes. Uh, I kept going. Helm, uh, the headset was knocked a bit askew. Um, I think what came through, I, I, um, I wasn't sent that particular moment as a highlight because it wasn't really a highlight. Um, but I think it sounded like you'd heard the, the headset go askew and it was like, <laughs> like that. Remember the old um, Eddie Murphy uh, stand-up act when he talks about when you had the uh, elderly aunt he says who falls down the steps and takes him forever to fall down the steps oh lord god jesus help me please my shoe that's what it was like when it was just boom plowing you heard this uh but i kept on talking it stayed with it and uh got the headset back properly affixed and went on from there so yeah that's uh, somebody else. A dirty play texter has never played basketball. Somebody else. Nobody. Nothing dirty about what, what Brock did at all. That guy is an idiot. He had a body on him. The guy jumps. Brock fell back. Fundamental box out. So somebody else. I saw a still shot of the Brock play. It's not a dirty play. Whoever saying it is smoking that devil's letter. I don't. I don't necessarily mean say that person is on anything. Right? They're just incorrect. It's it's not correct to say it's a dirty play. It's not. A dirty play. Um, so anyway, um, that's that's. And somebody said the foul called on the clean block. I think they were talking about the one uh, Tyrese Hunter. So there's going to be, there's always going to be, um, there's always going to be a lot of 
conversation about officiating, especially at that level of the tournament, a high level of the tournament. Somebody said two different calls on the same play. What's the deciding factor? It's it's a it's a it's a big uh, big call, no doubt. All oh, female listener number seventeen remembers it, it was Aunt Bunny who fell down there. My shoe. <laughs> yeah, that one. It was in college when that when that album uh, came out. Um, here's here's some of uh, the way it went down uh, in terms of the conversations uh, about this, and um, it was as I mentioned a a a uh, difficult time. But first of all, uh, here's here's Brock Cunningham talking about how he and his teammates. Uh, let things get away from them down the stretch of the basketball game. Let's Borderline gave it away. That's, That's a quality it. team with some elite players, but we had the game in our hands and it slipped out. You know, I've been here five years and to see where the program came from when I stepped on campus in 2018 to where it is now is a huge sense of pride. But you know, there's only one team happy at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, Miami was at, and, and I know it wasn't lost in a lot of people to see Brock Cunningham standing there down along the baseline. And and just watching the celebration, he was actually inside the security ropes that you have there to keep, you know, fans from rushing the court and things like that. He was inside of it, but he was just standing there down at the end of the floor watching what was going on. Uh, Timmy Allen, uh, with with uh, thoughts after the game about uh, how much his teammates have meant to him and how much his coaches meant to him. First of all, uh, talking about his teammates and how important they have been to him throughout all of this. As far as these guys, they're just so fun to be around and knowing that it's coming to an end and all these guys like Christian, Timmy, Jabari, all these guys just taught me so much and it just comes to an end and it, it hurts, but you know, life goes on and I could be more proud of this team no matter how far we came, even if we would have lost first round. Like I could be more proud of this team and everything we've accomplished with all the adversity we faced. And that's my bad. It was actually it was actually Sir Jabari Rice who said that because he mentioned Timmy and the other guys. Now this is Timmy talking about uh, how much uh, being around Rodney Terry has meant to the program and to himself. I just want to tell you how much I love RT. Like. I'm hurt because we didn't win for RT. And we didn't win for us, but, like, for RT. He's family. He was family before Beard got out of here. He was family when I got here, and he's done an outstanding job. And his 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 love that he's shown us has taken us further than the X's and O's. So I think that's something that's really important. Yeah, Timmy Allen with uh, some um, retrospective there. And then uh, – uh, a couple of things uh, from the post-game news conference. One, uh, the opening statement uh, from Rodney Terry talking about uh, the end of the ride for his team. I'd like to just start by saying I'm just so proud of this group uh, that I got a chance and was blessed to work with this year. These guys here, more than any group I've worked with in 32 years of coaching, have really embodied, you know, in terms of staying the course and being a team. These guys were incredible teammates all year. They were so unselfish as a team, and they gave us everything they had. They really did. Every day they came in with a smile on their face, ready to go to work. Um, you know, we, we learned a lot of tough lessons through, through some losses and through wins. But, man, I, I, I can't say enough 
how proud I am of this this group and uh, and what they've been able to do this season. They accomplished a lot. We had guys that came back and were on the mission to accomplish some great things, and we're right on the brink of being right where we wanted to be uh, to close out this season. We'll give Miami a lot of credit. Uh, they you know they continued to play and. Um, you know, they played well down the stretch, and, and they made, made some plays down the stretch to win the ball game. Uh, that was at the start of the press conference, and this is probably some sound you have heard. Um, it, it tells you uh, not only how Rodney Terry felt about his team and about these guys, but also about what everything this group went together went through together when you think back to December and uh, what was said back in December and the suspension of Chris Beard and ultimately his firing in January and how this team had to pull it together the the day the announcement came down that he was suspended but that they were playing rice there on that Monday game and just seeing uh, it shoot around the looks on the faces of those guys and some of them in in, in tears and stunned and not sure where it was going to go. And since then, we've heard uh, the veterans like Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen and Jabari Rice and Christian Bishop and Brock Cunningham saying that they were not going to let it ruin, crash, destroy, or define their season, that they were going to go through it. And and Rodney had uh, praised them all along about it. So with everything they went through and the ride they had down the stretch to finish second place in the Big 12 Conference, to beat Kansas not once but twice in one week decisively both times, winning a Big 12 Conference tournament championship, winning the two games in Des Moines, winning the Sweet 16 game, and then coming within a minute of going to the Final Four, you can understand the emotion when it's all said and done, the conclusion that was in Rodney Terry's voice when he was asked how badly does he want to coach this basketball team going forward? I haven't really had a whole lot of time to, to, to give a lot of thought to that. To be honest, I've been so wrapped up and in, in invested in my team. I mean, again, I love these guys, and not only will I just love these guys for the time I got a chance to coach them, I'm gonna love them for the rest of their lives. I'll be at their at their weddings. I'll be I'll be with the, you know talking to those guys when they have their firstborn, and uh, you know it was all about this team, man. And I, I I enjoyed every single day of this journey with this group, and, and I'm, I'm gonna really miss. really miss working with this group. So it was never about me. It was always about these guys. And I love these guys. Yeah, that was uh, the emotion that he felt. Afterwards, uh, about a half an hour later, and um, uh, was being interviewed by uh, a group of reporters as well uh, out in the hallway. And safe to say probably that RT had probably uh, – had a chance to take more of a deep breath coming out of that press conference and um, and being more uh, composed afterwards, uh, still and all, was talking about the difficulty of what it's going to be like not to see these guys on an everyday basis and to go through the things that they've been through for the past several months together. It's going to be really hard because uh... – Two years, those guys really, those guys made a commitment to come back when they didn't have to come back. And, uh, you know, they wanted to uh, to try to do something that hadn't been done at this university. And 
I'm just really proud and happy for them in terms of the kind of year that they got a chance to have this year in terms of going deep into March. And, uh, you know, last year we lost, you know, lost in the second round and got a chance to get to this second weekend with the hope of trying to get to a Final Four. And I'm just, again, so proud of what they were able to do. And they left their, their, uh, their footprints on this program. And, uh, you know, people will be talking about these guys for years to come. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I will tell you that on the flight home, uh, Roddy was doing what, what he has done all season long, and that is to he's made his way up and down the aisle and um, thanked people for being there and being a part of it, uh, not only his players, but the support staff, um, it, it, everybody who was on that plane. And he was, uh, you know, like, like he always is, very affable about it and, uh, and, and uh you know, consoling where he needed to be and congratulating where where he chose to be as well. And then uh, one more bit, and this is from uh, Sir Jabari Rice. And, uh, again, this this speaks to how these guys have felt about one another and how this – because without this type of thing, there's no way they could have overcome what they did, dealt with what they had to deal with, and make the run that they had to make. And uh, Jabari had some thoughts on it. I love these guys. Like this is my favorite team. I couldn't ask for nobody else uh, to be here. From the younger guys, Dylan, Terrio, those two of my favorite guys, uh, to Tyrese, my brother, to Marcus, Timmy, the things that we've been through. CB, Dylan, I don't want to leave. I, I I just didn't want to leave right now. Uh, I just love this program. Uh, winning feels good. So. I mean, when when you're winning and you're bonding like as much as we did, it's 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 just something that you don't want to end. But uh, it happened to end tonight, and uh, the that's why that's all I can say. The part that I'm gonna miss the most is the guys. Uh, basketball is easy, that's cake, but just building a bond with different people—that's something you won't get all the time. Basketball is as easy as cake, but building that relationship with those guys, the bond with those guys, is something you don't get all the time. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. No matter what our station or occupation is in life, we talk about relationships being uh, so important. And and it happens in team sports as well, as we know. Uh, All right, so there's uh, some basketball. I'm going to get to a lot of your uh, comments on the Specs text line at 337-3776. Feel free to uh, text in if you have a difference of opinion on the fouls and this and that. And and, And like I said, I understand uh, it being called a foul and Brock cutting game. It was a bang-bang play on that, and one official saw it as a foul on Norchad O'Meara, which would have been his fifth. The other saw it as a foul and Brock cutting him. I, I get that. Uh, where I would obviously take issue if somebody said it was a dirty play. I, my, my brother texted in to me and said, if Brock had only taken one step back with uh, Ormian on his back, then Omir uh, would have received the foul because he definitely went over his back. They will call it every time now if you take more than a step back on a box out play. Agree with all that. And then he goes on and says, that wasn't a dirty play because of the intention he was trying to get out from under him. Uh, he said, your texter is calling it that way because NBA players do use that move intentionally to jack with people. So sometimes you'll see it called dirty because of the usual hard nosed or dirty players in the NBA used it more than once, like Dennis Rodman used to do a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, but in, in the moment of him trying to make a play to get, uh, to the rebound, it's not a, it wasn't a dirty play, but I, 
I do get why it was why it was called a foul on that. And then, then other people weighing in and saying it's not dirty. It's not dirty. Uh, the uh, 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 the the colonel Craig Flowers is uh, uh, finally you'll get a sarcastic photo from the coach of a cart on the cart path. What you won't see is the cart in front of the picture on the grass, <laughs> talking about the block party on all of that. So anyway, somebody said, "Who makes the final decision?" Well, you saw that they came together, uh, the three of them, and um, interestingly enough, the crew chief uh, in that in that moment, is the one who made the call against Omir. But they went with Brent Hampton's call. Usually when the officials get together, they'll say, I had this, I had this. And then one may ask the other, are you sure you feel convicted about it? And if he says yes, then they'll go ahead and go with it. So that's why that is. So um, anyway, so there you go. All right, um, coming up, I I will get to more of your text. I promise on that. Uh, Also... (laughs) We would be doing uh, the Longhorn baseball team of this service if we didn't have the recap of that. How about them not only beating Texas Tech, but sweeping them all three games, sweeping the the formerly 14th-ranked Red Raiders of Texas Tech. Longhorns now have won 14 in a row. They're 18-7 and on top of the Big 12 Conference standings. We'll recap that. We do have Inconceivable coming up this hour. And uh, we'll uh, get to plenty of your texts as well and uh, recap the weekend, get uh, kind of the the um, the Dell match play recap uh, from Cam as well. Uh, also, Cam will have a uh, Flex 30 update for us coming up next hour. Uh, we have our Longhorn Notebook. That's up next when we continue with Life the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Like the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Two and out. The pinch. Swung on it. Driven deep to left. This one's going. This one's going. This one is gone. Walk it off. Tex, get off this. Garrett Gilman with a walk-off home run that may still be in flight. Oh, my goodness gracious. What a ball by Gilman. And Texas sweeps the Red Raiders. And they won their 14th in a row on a walk-off home run by Garrett Gilmed. And it was a majestic shot over the left field wall. Oh, goodness gracious. Here was the uh, walk-off home run by Garrett Gilmetz. Texas sweeping Texas Tech. Beat him in uh, back-to-back walk-offs. A wild pitch on Saturday. And then uh, yesterday, Texas had an 8-3 lead. Tech scored 48, one in the ninth to tie it, and then in the bottom of the ninth with the walk-off home run. So Texas with the win, which brings us to our Longhorn Notebook for this hour. And that includes the conversation that Ty Harrington, who was working the broadcast yesterday on AM 1260, uh, had after the game uh, uh, Ty and uh, David Pierce Having a laugh or two down on the field in between the conversation on the post-game interview. Longhorn Notebook. (laughs) I see a grin on your face now. All right. The last six outs in conference 
is in the conference the Sunday game is always tough. Wait a minute. I got to back up. Congratulations on winning. Congratulations on your second consecutive walk-off. Congratulations on 14 in a row. And so, congratulations. Man, that's a lot of congratulations. I appreciate that. Uh, it's about our team. They just finding ways to win games. Well, again, we weren't that good in the bullpen, but we did enough. And uh, let's just keep competing. We were competing. It was a great team win. Huge for Garrett to get a 2-0 right there and drive the baseball. Let's start with the pitching because we're going to end with the offense side of it. Let's start with the pitching today with Hurley going out. In your assessment of your pitchers on the mound today. Well, Zeke, he was effectively wild and just, you know, kind of pitching off the plate and getting some outs and a little behind and then attacking. And But his stuff just does so much. And so he, I don't think he gave up a hit until the four, uh, but just commanding the baseball. But I just like the way our guys just continue to, to fight. I mean, out of the pen, it was a little bit of a struggle, but we had to piece it together, and Boogie was outstanding in the, at the end. Let's go to the offense because obviously the homers today, the long ball for you guys were huge. You could have drawn a little circle around Peyton Powell's three balls that he hit today, and and he, as you know, better than anybody, is seeing the baseball about as good as anybody. Yeah, that was impressive. I thought our, our work this morning was outstanding. Our batting practice was staying in the middle of the field, working on the inner third of the baseball, and, you know, Peyton sees it well. Put some really good swings on it, and you're right. He hit two out, and another one, their kid, Hester, makes a great play. So, you know, I like the, where he is. I like where our offense is. Uh, just competing and, and grinding out at bats was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you got two freshmen that come up with Homer today as well. Yeah, Ryland's been good in that 9-0. That's why we stuck with him today. He's seeing the ball well. Jake's really good adjustments in his approach this morning, and uh, it paid off for us. Garrett Gilmott, he's got to feel pretty good. And obviously, he was standing here to hit this, to hit a walk-off home run on a, a series sweep. But for the first time in an orange and white uniform, it's got to be a special moment for him. Yeah, we're so fortunate to have him and Charlie from USC and come in and be a part of our culture, part of this team. And, you know, the kid's a grinder. He really is. And he works his tail off behind the plate. And for him to have that success, I'm just really proud of him. You know, sometimes you got to say it only takes one swing. And... He hit into two ground ball double plays today, but big time at the end. That's really a nice job of him sticking with his at-bats. You said something yesterday when we were walking off the field after we turned off the microphone about, man, I just love the way these guys are competing. They are embracing the idea of competing, and because of it, they're finding ways to win. Today's another example of it. Yeah, I mean, we have JT on his own, lays down a, a, a pull drag, and then steals a bag and scores. Uh, we've got defense playing really well, communicating well, making the routine plays. Uh, and then offensively, you know, you can see our patience. We're not chasing a lot. We're, we're making adjustments to different types of pitchers, guys that want us to chase the breaking ball down, did a nice job of getting it elevated and driving some baseballs. And just a tremendous weekend, great fan base this weekend. Um, just so excited for our team to end this homestand on a 14-game winning streak. And I, I would say that's a pretty good homestand, wouldn't you? I would I would concur. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I can tell you, I'm going to add that one up and tell you a big yes on that. And, Coach, congratulations on a sweep. You're 3-0 and in the conference. You got to say something about it. Now, Tuesday we're playing who? I don't know. I think they're, the, what are they called? The Aggies or something? Yeah, it's <laughs> always a big game. You know, it, 
you'd almost rather play them in between non-conference, but you start conference, and, you know, both teams are in the same position, but we go over there to be crazy Tuesday night. It'll be fun. And always, when Texas and A&M get together, it's always special. Congratulations. Catch your breath. Get ready for Tuesday, and go get them. Thanks, Ty. I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, there was the conversation after the game, and, uh, uh, you know, big, uh, big moment, uh, big game, big series uh, over the weekend because, let's be honest, in that 14-game homestand, the first 11 games – when you talk about the teams that they were playing, it was like, okay, these are teams that, quite frankly, Texas should, should beat, that were going to be down in the RPI playing Manhattan and New Orleans and midweek teams like Incarnate Word, you know, doing that thing, Sam Houston. So uh, uh, Mercer, all of that was part of that 14-game homestand. And David Pierce didn't pull any punches saying those were games that we should win. And, and, and it's weird to say we should be 11-0 and after the first 11 games of a 14-game home, homestand, but they were. Then comes in a team that had just taken two out of three from a really good Oklahoma State ball club that was sitting on top of the Big 12 Conference standings, and the Longhorns uh, wind up winning all three games. So they're in first place today in the conference standings. I'll tell you what else it does, too. You talk about getting an RPI boost. Uh, which is still a major tool of the baseball NCAA tournament selection committee. Texas going into the homestand had an RPI in the 200s, and right now they're at 22. That's what we're doing. And the and the wins over Texas Tech really obviously gave it a gave it a you might say a turbocharged boost with those three wins. Now they go on the road. Starting tomorrow night with Texas A&M, it'll be an angry group of Aggies. Of course, they get fired up to play Texas. It doesn't matter what the records are and all that kind of stuff. But they come off being swept on the road by a really good Tennessee ball club. So that's going to be quite the challenge going over the Bluebell Park tomorrow night. Then it's up to Stillwater. Uh, the argument can be made that the two most difficult series for Texas in Big 12 play are the first two. Tech at home, Oklahoma State on the road. They still have to go to Fort Worth later in the year and play at TCU, uh, you know, so there there's still challenges to come on down the road. Somebody asked on the Specs text line, I wonder who might start Tuesday night against the Aggies. I think it's going to be a bullpen game. It has been in the past. I think it probably will be again. Uh, it could be uh, LeBaron Johnson starting for two, three innings, depending on he pitched on Saturday but didn't pitch yesterday, did a little bit out of the pen on Saturday, so it's it's possible. Our man in Belton asked, when uh, when did Barfield start doing Texas baseball games? Uh, been hearing him for a while, but always heard him on the Waco station since I live in Belton. He's fun to listen to and get so excited. He's been helping us, I think, four years now and uh, just has been uh, really good, uh, a good plug-in uh, compliment to, to our broadcast when, when I can't be there due to the overlap with uh, men's and women's basketball and Roger uh, who did Saturday, Friday and Saturday's game, and Roger wants it available Sunday, and and uh, Tom has helped us out a lot during this on uh, the run by the men's and women's basketball teams, and we appreciate that. He's gonna, I think he's scheduled to do another game with us uh, later on uh, this season. So uh, thanks to him for helping us out. All right, up next uh, we'll uh, we'll get to inconceivable. Uh, let me uh, let me uh, get 
to a couple other texts because I promised you I would do that. Somebody said, I could see that call talking about the Brock Cunningham foul go either way. Yeah, or say, if you can see that call go either way, Craig, then I'll temper my rage a little. <laughs> a great season for the team. Yeah, I, I could see it going either way. I, I get it. It's difficult uh, from a Texas perspective, but I could see that. Absolutely. I just I, I, I took issue with the person who said it was a dirty play. It wasn't a dirty play. It was a foul for sure. Uh, the, the way it was called, if you're going to if if you know you're going to make the call against Brock Cunningham, you call a foul, but not a dirty play. Somebody says, "Is there audio available? You getting run over by the Miami player? If so, I think you need to add some bleeps to it for the unnecessary censorship of Craig Way." Uh, we'll try to find if 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 we can, maybe I can get it to uh, to uh, Rod and Harge and. Uh, and and Patrick and let them uh, work their magic on it because Rod likes to do that unnecessary censorship of my calls that make it sound like I'm cursing full-blown blue language when, in fact, that's not the case at all. But a well-placed bleep out here and there can make – it's amazing what your mind can do with it. And I've always got a big kick out of it. I thought it was pretty funny as well. Somebody else, Brock was blocking out exactly as taught, especially against a bigger player. If Amir was going straight up and not – up over in the back, the rest of the play likely doesn't unfold the way that it did. And that's why I say there's there's folks who are going to look at it differently. Somebody else said it seems like a 50-50 call, certainly not dirty. And and someone else saying refs just called it tighter in the second chance. Uh, second half, Texas had a chance to end it. The scoring drought was brutal. Hell of a season, though, with or without uh, all of the drama this season. So, Anyway, so there's there's uh, some other ones. Um, someone else, I can see the call going either way, but my problem is the call being overturned. And again, I don't know that it was completely overturned. What, the official's arm came up one, and then the other one came from the other side, and I don't know if you could see that as well. It wasn't, hey, this was definitely the call. No, 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 I had it this way. Okay, we're going to overturn it. I don't think it's that. They came together pretty quickly to discuss – which official had one call and which official had the other call. And they decided to go with Brent Hampton's call on that. So there you go. All right. Uh, up next, we'll uh, bring you uh, this uh, morning's edition of Inconceivable. When we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Way and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Here's what we got for you on uh, Inconceivable. First of all, a couple of um, uh, airborne-oriented things. Uh, Southwest Flight was on its way from Las Vegas to... I want to make sure I got this right... Well, it doesn't say where it was going. Yeah, it is. Um, I guess Columbus, Ohio. But uh, Southwest Airlines had just taken off from, uh, this happened late last week. I had just taken off from Las Vegas. And they were in the air. And one of the pilots required medical attention. So there were recordings, obviously, uh, and it said a member of the flight crew can be heard saying the pilot had stomach pain before they fainted or became incapacitated. So 
The pilot came back after about a minute, said, someone says in the archive recording, and went to the back of the plane and was treated. So who's flying the plane? Fortunately, a credentialed pilot from another airline wow. just happened to be a passenger on the plane. And so he goes, well, let me, let me go in there. So that pilot entered the flight deck, and he helped with the radio communication while the second Southwest pilot flew the plane back to Las Vegas. The flight was on its way to Columbus, Ohio, ended up landing about 8 o'clock in the morning. Boy, you talk about a red-eye flight. Woo! Uh, after landing in Las Vegas, an alternate crew reportedly flew to Columbus. No update immediately given on the pilot's condition or the medical issue. Uh, the airline representative added, quote, We commend the crew for their professionalism and appreciate our customers' patience and understanding regarding the situation. Pilots are trained to fly solo and cases like these had the off-duty pilot not been aboard the southwest flight a flight attendant could have stepped into the flight deck to assist craig we actually have some audio from that flight here oh yeah let's hear this i just want to tell you both good luck with the royal county exactly oh so anyway it's happened uh but fortunately uh there was just a Pilot from another airline on there. I wonder if he had to like check with, you know, his dude with Delta and say, "Hey, is it okay for me to uh, hop on board here and, and help fly us this?" Yeah, yeah, does he get yeah. paid for that? Yeah, yeah. Am I going to get uh, get a little bonus? And who's doing the paying on this? Speaking of Delta, uh, Saturday night they're going down or up the coast from Los Angeles to Seattle, and. Plane taxis pulls back from the gate, push, or as they say, the pushback from the gate. They're getting ready to taxi out. And then uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, passengers decided, yeah, I'm not for this flight. I need to get off this flight. But instead of saying that, which I don't know what kind of ruckus it would have caused, the passenger simply opened one of the plane's doors and slid down the slide. Pulled it out. Slide goes down. Whoop. So um, Delta Flight 1714 took place about 1040 in the morning local time. This was on uh, Saturday while the plane was stationary at L.A. International. So they, they had not quite pushed back yet. They were uh, – it said prepared for takeoff. Boeing 737. Uh, no, no, wrong. They had stopped. They were on the runway holding to taxi for takeoff when the passenger exited the aircraft after activating the emergency exit slide. Sorry, I got a thing. Um, yeah, passenger was detained by the Delta staff and then arrested by local law enforcement. The FAA said, quote, customers are being Reaccommodated on a new aircraft, and we apologize for the inconvenience and delay in their travel plans. So, want to hear why they had to leave yeah. so briskly? Yeah, um, you know, did he leave the water running on in the the kitchen or something? What airport was it? Did it say L.A. LAX? And they're going to Seattle, and they they pushed back from the gate, rolled out to the runway, and we're in a pause moment there, like you would be at a major airport waiting whatever, third in line, fourth in line, whatever it is, take off, and the guy decides, not for me. Let's just pull out the door and roll down the emergency slide. 
Eh, you're going to have to explain that to the judge on that. Um, saw some viral video of a uh, college baseball game that happened over the weekend. Austin P was playing Liberty. Now, did you hear about this game? I did not. Okay. Uh, Liberty's up 8-5 in the third inning. Not exactly your garden variety pitcher's duel. And uh, Roland Fanning is the first-year head coach at Austin P. He got pretty upset with the way it was being called. First of all, the Liberty pitcher, Nathan Keeter, hit a home run in the first inning, and then he celebrated toward the Austin P dugout. So there's some of that going on. So that caught the IR coach Fanning and the governors from Austin P. So then he comes up for his next at bat, and they throw right at him. And he's almost hit by the pitch. Umpires got together very quickly and decided it was deliberate pitcher, catcher, head coach all, you're out of here. Wow. So they eject him. So he comes out to argue it with the uh, umpire, and he goes, oh, hold on, wait a second. I'm thirstier. He goes back and gets a two-liter <laughs> bottle of Mountain Dew, and he's standing there arguing with Hold on a second. You know, and he's, I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew. So, uh, yeah, he's just chugging a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew while he's arguing with the umpire. Yeah, in between F-bombs of the umpire, he's just taking swigs out of the Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a two-liter bottle, too. It's not like a little cup. No, it's a, I mean, <laughs> he is killing it. And he pulls it down. You know, he's probably saying, look, did you see how that guy was showing up our dugout after he hit a home run? Like, yeah, I also saw how you instructed your pitcher to throw at him, too. So, yeah, you gave the signal to the catcher. The catcher tells the pitcher to throw, so you're all three culpable. Uh, therefore, you're all out of here. Hold on. Let me finish my Mountain Dew. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's classic. Finally, we have an update on Ralphie the Demon Dog. Remember we had the story two, three weeks ago about this dog that had been returned not once, not twice, but thrice, three times, returned to a shelter. Is this a Lady Gaga's dog or a different uh, dog? No, 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 no. Okay. This, this uh, is a French bulldog. And he had been returned three times because they called him. Uh, the New York Animal Shelter described him as a fire-breathing demon. Um, <laughs> uh, they talked about because uh, he specifically that the shelter specified that Ralphie should go to a family without other dogs. They said through training, he might be able to get over his reactivity around other dogs. Also, a bit of a biter, you know, aggressive. Um, well, now he has a new home. Third time, actually make it the fourth time the charm for Ralphie. Made headlines after that deal, but the Niagara... SPCA said in a Facebook post on Friday that they received more than 700 applications to adopt the adorable... 700? 700 applications to adopt the adorable but troublesome French Bulldog. They finally honed in on Ralphie's perfect adopter, a man named Jason, who wears Halloween masks. No, no, no. A man named Jason who trains dogs professionally for the Department of Energy in Tennessee. And this guy's got a pack of other dogs. There's another French Bulldog, a Dachshund, a German Shepherd, 
Uh, the shelter originally specified Ralphie should go to a family without other dogs, but they said through training he'd be able to get past all of that and that Jason would provide him with structure and give him an outlet for all that Frenchy energy, wrote the shelter. He dedicates his life to dogs, and that's what makes him a perfect match for Ralphie. He's described as a unicorn adopter. Uh, <laughs> someone on the Specs text line says, it's because he's not English. The French Bulldog. No, no. Ralphie has a new home, and we're all glad for him for that. All right. Second hour. We're already into it now, but we'll continue. More on uh, the end of the Longhorn basketball. It looks like uh, the contract deal is going to be done for Rodney Terry. Should have an announcement probably in the next day or so uh, that uh, he'll be offered the job full-time at the University of Texas. Good news there. Uh, we'll talk some other topics as well coming up here in this second hour of Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital right here on your Horn app and at hornfm.com.